Maverick has gone forward with Stewart to the right, Lineker and Howes to the left. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! That is schoolboy's own stuff. Oh, I bet even he can't believe it. Is there anything left from this man to surprise us? That was one of the finest free kicks that this stadium has ever seen. Hello and welcome to episode 66 of Hitting the Bar, the football podcast. I'm Chris Carl. And I'm Jeff Saunders. Right, Jeff, lots to get through as usual. First of all, your trivia question. When was the last time a Premier League team played with the shirt numbers 1 to 11? And who were they? So starting 11, 1 to 11. Wow, that sounds like a long time ago to me. Right, let's get started. Shall we start with last night and work our way backwards? We had the we had the quarterfinal of the Caraboa Cup. Your prediction that Brentford would beat Newcastle, correct. We'll have a little chat about Brentford. But, of course, hitting the news, I suppose, is uh, another dismal display by Arteta's Arsenal. And I'm sort of prefacing Arsenal with Arteta because he's got a lot to do with it. They lost 4-1 at home to Manchester City, who, of course, have won it three times in a row, current holders. That doesn't really excuse Arsenal in any particular way. But another abysmal display. He did play a few youngsters, but a strong team. Martinelli looking good for Arsenal, but the rest of them pretty, pretty bad. Yeah, Martinelli played at the weekend as well and looked, looked quite good then too. He, he's obviously a very good player. The, the thing which strikes me and you know, I know I've said it before, but I will say it again. Is the the narrative, the the premise that the writers in the press have that Arteta is somehow a great manager and the players are letting him down? First of all, there is no evidence at all, not one jot of evidence that Arteta is a good manager. He was appointed never having managed any team of any sort, so there's no evidence. So where do, where are the journalists getting this from? It's it's rubbish, and you just have to look at Arsenal. Look how they're set up look at the tactics it all comes down to the manager and they are rubbish yes i don't think there's any excuses people of course we as ourselves pundits on the radio and on this podcast and football lovers have our opinion and of course all, as you say the journalists do seem to be molly coddling him or protecting him from criticism being a tottenham fan I do want to say that you know Tottenham have gone through a couple of bad games lately. If Arteta had not been a manager of Arsenal and it had been Jose Mourinho or Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and they'd lost eight of their 14 games this season, eight lost, were 15th in the table with 14 points and had just lost at home in the Carabao Cup, Arteta would be if it was Jose, would be under a lot of pressure from the from the press. There would be people screaming for him to be sacked, hashtags all over the place, Jose not up for the job, and yet Arteta does seem to be a little bit protected from all that. It's not a little bit. Read every single article. Every single article is about how the players aren't doing doing what he wants. But if, if you read the interview with Willian three weeks ago, the players are doing exactly what he, they've been asked to do. Willian, who is a wide attacking player, whose job is to get wide and get forward, has been told by Arteta not to get forward, to only to go two thirds of the way up the pitch and then check inside. That's, that was in an interview with William. That is what he has been told to do. No wonder he looks bad. So the the, the genius Arteta trebles William's William's pay, gives him an extra ten million a year, and then doesn't play him in his correct position. They give Aubameyang a huge extra contract and play him at left wing. Yeah, I mean, it, it's he's, he is such a genius. His genius is so so far ahead of anything I can comprehend that that it all makes no sense to me. 
so so obviously he is he is this savant obviously because i i cannot see how anything that he's done is going to help them to win games at all and when you when you reduce to boasting about lumping 44 aimless balls into the penalty box for Alderweireld to head clear and you boast about that and say oh oh the goals will definitely come it's mathematically certain that goals will come from that well, you know he's channeling Charles Charles Reap we're back to back to Graham Taylor hit hit the big man down the middle oh it's absolutely pathetic and why the press are letting him get away with it I do not know well on match of the day Alan Shearer was asked if he thinks that uh, Arsenal will go down, which is a question you don't expect to hear very often. Shearer said, I wouldn't be so sure, not with that starting team and the attitude of some of the players. He said Mikel Arteta should be a worried man relying on that group of players to save his job. 12 goals, this is after Saturday's game, 12 goals all season. They've got no options against Everton. Uh, Pepe was not prepared to get in the box. He was jogging, walking. He's got to do more. So even Shearer is blaming the players, but is saying that Arsenal are in danger of going down if this form continues. Well, they they, they clearly are. The, the the old rule always used to be that if you got to Christmas and you had the same or fewer points than games played, you were in releg- a relegation fight. And that's always, that stood the test of time. And Arsenal in the league, what are they, played 14 points, 14? They're right there. Yes, I think the only difference is, and I hate to say it, but Arsenal probably got a better team than those 14 points than the teams around them. Compare Arsenal to Brighton, and I think what you just said is completely wrong. I think they might have better players or more valuable players, but Brighton are much more of a team. When you watch them play, you can see genuine teamwork happening. You can see a pattern. You can see a. You can see how they want to how they want to play. Brighton's problem is scoring, actually finishing off the moves and scoring the goals. Arsenal aren't even creating their chances. Let's hope. <laughs> Let's hope they are in danger. Then they did lose to Everton at the weekend, two-one, continuing their bad run of form. Let's discuss what Arteta said this week in answer to what's going on, what's gone wrong. So this is what Arteta says about Arsenal. (laughs) Brace yourselves. When you look at the perspective of how we are losing football matches and how we are where we are, it's pretty incredible. Last year we won the game against Everton at home with a 25% chance of winning. You win 3-2. Last weekend it was a 67% chance of winning any game in Premier League history and a 9% chance of losing and you lose. 3% against Burnley and you lose. 7% against Spurs and you lose. There is something else apart from the performance on the pitch. It is something else that needs to go our way and at the moment it doesn't. He's talking about percentages there and it's not the performance on the pitch. is there some paranormal th- uh, something going on that he's referring to? Yeah, perhaps he's going to take take Arsenal out of the Premier League and into the paranormal league, um, where expected goals count more than real goals. Oh, it's 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 absolutely absurd. I mean, it's just it's pathetic to be quite honest. Quoting these XG stats as some sort of justification—that's not why these XG stats are produced. They're they're produced to help you coaching. So if you have a very a higher XG than goals scored, your strikers aren't converting chances. So that's something you work on on coaching. It's not an excuse for losing. You don't hear that from Chris Wilder. The XG for Sheffield United is far, far ahead of their 
actual goal scored. And you never hear Chris Wilder whinging on like that. It was absolutely pathetic. Does sound like, and is, a terrible excuse. There's only a 7% chance of losing to Spurs, and yet we did. It can't be us. <laughs> no, that's given the circumstances, you should have a good chance of beating them if you play the way you should play. Uh, you can't blame the stats. That's absolutely ridiculous. So Everton did beat Arsenal 2-1. It's not looking good for Arsenal. I mean, long may they keep Arteta. But let's speculate that, you know, you know, you lose to the champions who've been holders for three years. Probably no great shame. Because we're recording this on the Wednesday morning after that game. Who knows? Will he be sacked by Christmas? And who could take his job? Allardyce has now gone to West Brom. So that's out. Yeah. Uh, as we said last week, Allardyce should have waited. Um, <laughs> There's usually a better job coming along around about Christmas, and they're not, they're not going to get rid of him because they have to pay him pay him too much in compensation, and they haven't got the money. That was going to be my other point. Actually, was you've got Burnley and Sheffield uh, Sheffield United and West Brom and Brighton, all these teams around Arsenal, and Arsenal could be in a relegation battle if they lose their Christmas games. But unlike some of those teams. Can they not afford to reinforce the team in the January transfer window? Well, I, I haven't seen their balance sheet, so I don't. I don't know. I would guess it will be very, very difficult for them. They'll have to. They'll have to sell to bring money in. And this transfer window, the, the mid-season one, is not a good time to be selling players. You don't get the. You don't get the money for them that you need. And of course, the the owner Cronky has has bet the family fortune on this um, five and a half billion dollar stadium in Los Angeles. He's going to have to support the financing of for the next 25 years I don't think it's looking very good good for the Wanderers to be quite honest and unlike you that um, that makes me feel quite happy yeah, we're going to come to what's happened to my team, Tottenham, and of course we're talking there about Arsenal in a moment. No, t- no reason to panic there, I don't think. Let's have a look at some of the other games. What did happen this last weekend? Crystal Palace nil, Liverpool seven. I mean, we said it, you know how many will Liverpool score? I think not many people thought that would be anything but a Liverpool win. But seven nil away at Palace, Liverpool have got their mojo back if they even lost it. Well, some some of the performances haven't been haven't been as as joined up as they were before. If Salah plays as well as he can play, they, they do look much better. And he's definitely been off form at the start of the season. No, no, I mean nobody would would expect seven. That's just that's just ridiculous. I I had them down for three nil, and I just wish they'd listen to me. But <laughs> but but they don't. They they they're, they're too stupid to listen to me. So they go and put seven past Palace. And it's one of those things when when the manager will think, oh, what a fantastic performance. But if you're going to score seven goals, do it over two games, not over one. Yeah, I mean if you were a manager of a relegation threatened club you would want those seven over several performances wouldn't you well, Liverpool can probably afford to spend those those goals there is talk that Salah is unhappy and wants to move out of Liverpool we don't know how true those rumours are but there's also the usual ridiculous we talk about Arteta muddling up statistics there's the usual clamour from for Spurs fans for different kind of football and look we could only draw away at Palace last week and Liverpool beat them 7-0 so therefore we are not as good as the, uh, uh, as as we think we are, but then Villa put seven past Liverpool, so so you know you, you, there's no way of working that one out. Uh, Southampton got beat narrowly by Man City one nil. Uh, no surprise there. Just uh, Southampton nearly got the draw in the end there, but uh, Southampton's still looking good. Everton beating Arsenal as we say, and then Newcastle won. Fulham won. Fulham were leading for much of that game until a very controversial penalty towards the end. 
Scott Parker claiming that uh, Callum Wilson had died for the penalty. Very, very unhappy about that. But another point for Fulham. Yeah, it's another point. And if, you, if you're in the relegation fight, every point counts. So I, I sympathise with Scott Parker. It looked like a dive to me. But, um, you know, just take the point, say thanks very much and concentrate on the next game. And then another club who have been in the relegation battle since the beginning uh, with just their one point. Sheffield United actually got another point. Away, away at Brighton. They had a red card in the 40th minute scored in the 63rd and then Danny Welbeck pops up in the last few minutes to score for Brighton to save a point a little bit of a decent signing that's his second goal I think yeah I think he came off the bench to do that as well didn't he so you know I'm I'm pleased for Welbeck that you know there are signs that it's working out for him if he can if he can stay fit then he'll be very useful to Brighton I feel a bit sorry for Sheffield United they deserve to win but you know if, if you can only score one goal your chances of winning are that much lower aren't they and that uh, was the first game on Sunday. The rest, the other three games, bizarre in themselves and um, some incredible results. We'll start with my team, Tottenham. Tottenham nil, Leicester 2. There was a controversial VAR decision. We'll come to that. But first, the meltdown from Spurs fans saying, oh, it's all over. We've lost two in a row. Leicester are a very, very good team. Uh, and Tottenham, I have to say, just... Um, a lot of people saying it's the tactics, but for me, Tottenham just didn't get going. And I think Harry Kane just didn't have a very good game, a uh, very good day. It was just one of those days when it didn't happen, and I think Kane looks a little bit tired. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think it was the tactics. Uh, the reason I said said before on the, on the radio show we do that Leicester would win was that they are the sort of... They play the way that t- Tottenham don't want opponents to play. Tottenham want opponents to come onto them constantly. And Leicester are more of a counter-attacking side. What was evident from from a tactical point of view watching that match was that Leicester's uh, the way Leicester play is much more joined up than than Tottenham. Tottenham are okay up, you know, from from defence into the midfield, and then Mourinho's professed style and and preferred way of playing is let the forwards get on with it. So he doesn't he doesn't coach any movement for the forwards in and you know and they don't set traps for the defence either. Whereas Leicester do those and Leicester looked joined up. Leicester looked by a distance the better side. They they deserve the win definitely. And you know the offside for Madison was just an absolute farce. I mean there's no way in the world the commentators when when it was first played up. Oh no, he's obviously onside and he was obviously onside. How they've managed to come up with some way of describing that as offside, I do not know. Yes, um, as a Tottenham fan, I knew that was onside, looking at the lines. Then they start playing with the lines. It's, it's almost like interfering with an election result to make it go your way. It, didn't, it looked a bit dodgy, and I'm saying that as a Tottenham fan. I'm not sure if this sounds a little bit far-fetched, but... Shortly before that, I think it was, uh, Albrighton, who after this action I don't think should have been on the pitch, Kung Fu kicked Harry Kane in the chest and he should have been given a red possible. Definitely, uh, it was a yellow anyway. It was uh, bordering on a red for me. Is there any possibility that they tried to adjust the the, the fairness of the game by, by giving a, a dodgy offside? Because it was no way offside. However, then Aurea, being Aurea, red card waiting to happen, as you call him, went and did just that right on the whistle of half-time, pushed the Leicester player over in the box and gave away a penalty. We went in 1-0 down. Well, pushing the player over in the in the penalty area is one thing, but when the player is in the corner of the penalty area going out of the penalty area, why didn't he just stay close behind him? He, he's going away from the goal. Isn't, as a defender, that's what you want, isn't it? Oh, it's the most extraordinary thing to do. Yes, as a defender, 
particularly, as you say, the ridiculous decision to make. Uh, very, very, I don't know, naive. And you could see from Jose Mourinho's face that he was fuming, and I think everybody else was. There was absolutely no need for it, and Tottenham went in 1-0 down. They'd not put in a good first-half performance anyway. As you say, there does, there, is a, there does seem to be a little bit of a gap between the midfield and the, and the attack. He then brought on Gareth Bale. I really want it to work out for him. For me, he looks a bit tentative, Gary, uh, Gareth Bale. Almost like he's a little bit scared to get involved in the action. I mean, he had a header, he, had, he nearly had an assist, but he didn't fire up the game, he didn't change the game. I thought he was playing very narrow, and I, I couldn't wear that out, because he is definitely a wide player. And if he's going to if he's going to run in the channels, the inside, inside forward channels, there's not going to be the space for him that he needs. So I, I don't understand why, why they put him on the pitch and played in the way they did. It's just not how he plays. Yeah, so Tottenham, having lost to Liverpool, uh, having played a very good game against Liverpool, we've played Liverpool, we've played Leicester, we played Chelsea, we played Man City and Arsenal in our last games. Uh, beat Arsenal, beat Man City, drew away at Chelsea. 65 games before that game at Liverpool had ended up with Liverpool not losing, so no surprise there. To lose at home to Leicester, though, is not, I, I would have hoped for a draw. But does that mean the beginning of the end to Tottenham's top four? As a lot of people are saying, oh, we're back to normal now, pushing for fifth. No, uh, look at the match. Look at how Leicester played. And if anyone wants to wants to beat Tottenham, then you've got to try and do what Leicester did. Because that, that is what Mourinho hates. A team, a team doing that is what he hates. But it takes a few years to learn to do that. So I can't see anyone doing that quickly enough to, to say Spurs are in trouble. Spurs results against their their fellow sort of top six candidates are quite good. It's, it's roughly f- roughly 50 percent basically. So that's okay. So if it gets down to how you do against the rest, I think they're they're pretty well placed to be quite honest. I I think they'll be either fifth or fourth. I don't think much has changed there. Yes, I mean as, as I said, I've watched the meltdown from a few melts on uh, Facebook and other uh, social media places from a few Spurs fans most of them saying you know let's be sensible as you say we beat Man United top four rival beat Man City top four rival drew with Chelsea beat Arsenal who in days of yore were a top six rival when was yore exactly it's around the same time as back in the day (laughs) which I also do not understand talking of Manchester United what a ridiculous game we knew there'd be goals what what with it being Leeds United who score and let them in at will but Manchester United 6 Leeds United 2 I'm going to say it I'm going to say it I watched the game Man United looked very good and I know you're not keen on Man United at all but I thought they played really well and at times they were a joy to watch and there was no Pogba well I think that's part of it isn't it against Leeds you're going to get you will get a very unstructured match and that's that suits Manchester United to be quite honest they you know just let those attacking players do what they do and see what happens so it's like you know almost like a sort of five-a-side score that they looked very good but not everybody is going to set their team up the way Bielsa does Leeds United they're going to have to do some unpicking of defences at some point this season and they've shown they can't do it yet that performance against Leeds was very very good the thing with Leeds is you know they can win 5-0 lose 5-0 or have any score in between um, and they showed it then yes I, I agree I, I suppose Man United against a team that are a bit more organised at the back would have had a different day it did seem that every time United charged at them though it was like it was like running into a hen coop <laughs> the United uh, defence and midfield were all over the place at uh, McTominay you said on the radio show the Saturday before that uh, we do a radio show for 
93.6 Global Radio on the Costa del Sol, a football show every Saturday afternoon. And you said that McTominay can should be second on the team sheet. He's a great player, he's a future captain and he's a leader and he's an excellent player. What does he go and do? Scores in the 90th second, I think it was, and then 90 seconds later. I think two minutes and three minutes basically. He scored two goals at the beginning of that match and I thought, here he goes again. Jeff, I won't be able to shut him up, but you were right. Well, anybody who's watched him over the last two seasons should, should see the same thing. He cares. He really, really cares. He wears his heart on his sleeve. He gives everything for the team. I, d- I don't like a player doing well for Manchester United. Yeah. But behind Fernandes, he's their best player and they should make him captain tomorrow. Yeah, so he scored in the second minute and the third minute and then got an assist in the 66th. So, as you say, he was still running and caring uh, when, they were, when they were already way ahead, way ahead. That was an assist for Daniel James, who I thought a couple of seasons ago looked like the fastest player on the pitch. The, the Daniel James that is in the whatever happened to. That's the one. That one. Yeah, w- w- I, remember, I remember saying to... Uh, to Honest Dave when, when he was signed he was going on about how fantastic it was and how fast and I said yes but that is the easiest thing to defend against and he will not he will not prosper at Manchester United and he hasn't and he won't because if all you have is speed then it's quite easy to defend against you've got to have more and I'm afraid Daniel James doesn't have more he's playing a league higher than he should be he's a championship quality player a very good one but a championship quality player. Manchester United 6 and Leeds United 2. Manchester United now fully in the mix um, for a top four spot. Um, people have been... T- I mean, this is uh, as we started the show. Arteta there, languishing in 15th with Arsenal, who see themselves as a top four club, and people screaming for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to be sacked. I do have to say it, crisis, what crisis? They are up there in the top five. Uh, they did get booted out of the Champions League. But, I mean, what does Ole Gunnar Solskjaer have to do, really? Because they're doing all right yes and I think that is what Woodward is hanging on to hoping that Solskjaer can come up with these performances often enough to keep them up there they're they're not a convincing side though and and I think that's what a lot of people are sort of are criticizing from them there there is no consistency to them you get a a great performance and a terrible performance often one one after the other can they stay in the top four Mm, I'm not sure I think along with Tottenham they'll be they'll be fighting for that fifth or fourth spot by the season's the, the only reason that they that they will do that is, you know, if you spent a billion pounds on players, then they're going to be good players, aren't they? So, you know, even despite the manager not being very good and the tactics being a joke, you've, st- you've still got those great attacking players. All right, they wasted 80 million on, on Maguire, who who made Leicester's defence look better by him leaving. So aren't you coming into Leicester and making them even better? And he made Manchester United's defence worse. He, he's an accident waiting to happen as well. They need a very good centre-back to either well preferably replace him but they're talking about to play beside him for some reason don't know why yeah fifth or fourth I think for for Manchester United along with Tottenham they'll be fighting for those two places I think yeah just looking briefly at the table United Manchester United are currently third one point above Tottenham who are sixth but interesting that out those top six or seven, Leicester City are sec- uh, second, have lost two of their last five. Everton have lost one. Chelsea have lost two of their last five. Tottenham have lost two of their last five. And Southampton have lost two of their last The only teams that haven't lost at least one or two in the last five games are Liverpool who are top and Man United who are currently third but I mean you got from second 27 points down to seventh there's only three points in it it's going to be tighter than it's ever been but I think it'll be even tighter between the first and the second yeah but I I think the most important number on on the, the the chart there is games played 
14 and in Manchester United's case 13 they haven't you know every team hasn't played every team once yet so there's still a long way to go and usually at the halfway through the season look at the the teams that have as many or fewer points as games played and look at the goal difference because the goal difference is a better indicator of where you'll finish the league than the current position well Tottenham's goal difference is better than Man United's currently and one of the best in the league so I don't think there's time to panic just yet uh, Tottenham uh, United yeah they kind of are up and down win one lose one but great display against a very entertaining Leeds United Sam Allardyce came back to the Premier League I think it's his eighth Premier League club never been relegated it's what he's known for but he didn't have a great day on his first day had a player sent off lost 3-0 to Aston Villa yeah it was it was um, this this match that Villa Villa do very well Villa will probably struggle in the next one and be good the one after that's what they've been like all, all through the season West Brom's problem is scoring goals They've, they've looked really quite good, well set up, well coached, well ta- you know, good tactics. They just can't score. If you can't score, there's nothing down for you. So they should have stuck with Billich, accepted the relegation, took the the extra money from the Premier League, bought better players and come up a better team. Um, panicking and bringing in Allardyce to try and rescue them is not going to work because they're not good enough. Uh, another game in the Premier League before we move on to our coming uh, predictions for the Christmas weekend, as they call it. Was your team West Ham, Jeff? Where do you start? I'll let you start with that one and give you the delight of explaining to our listeners what happened. Well, I think West Ham played played quite well in the, in the structure that uh, that Moyes has decided they'll play. They made it difficult for Chelsea, but in the end, the quality of the of the Chelsea squad and and their tactics paid out, and they won three nil. Uh, West Ham had chances to maybe have come away with a draw, maybe, but. If you if you miss that many chances, then you're really not going to do well. So I think it was a fairly predictable result, and and it duly happened. West Ham, who were you know flirting with fifth <laughs> a couple of times over the last month, where are they going to end up now? I mean, not based on that performance, but kind of level things out a bit, didn't it? I think somewhere like eighth, maybe seventh, if we have a good season. We'll be in the mix for the Everton Cup, put it that way. All right, well, not too bad. Coming up this weekend on what is traditionally called in Britain, anyway, Boxing Day, 26th of December, full fixture list. Let's start and uh, have a look at our predictions. Big one, not just for the two teams involved, but for teams like Tottenham. Leicester City against Manchester United. I suppose the best result for me would be a draw, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think that's the most likely result, too. Um... 2-2. Villa against Palace. Well, that could be absolutely anything, couldn't it? Uh, which Villa team turn up? The the really good attacking team or the or the hopeless lot? Um, I'll go for a... Oh, no, they scored three last time. I'll go for a 2-0 win to Villa. All right. Uh, that will level things up for Palace. They've been doing quite well up until recently. Then we've got uh, Fulham against Southampton. Southampton who lost at the weekend. Fulham got a credible draw. But I think it'd be 2-1 to Southampton, that one. Yep. Agree. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm looking forward to this one. The trouble is with Arsenal playing before Tottenham, I'm not allowed to gloat if they lose because we may then go on to lose as well. But Arsenal play Chelsea. Now that looks on paper like an easy Chelsea win, doesn't it? Especially with what's happening at Arsenal. But 
could it be last chance saloon for this Arsenal team and their manager? Well, I think Chelsea will win, but no, it's not going to be last chance saloon for the reasons reasons we said before. They can't afford to get rid of him, but I think Chelsea will win. All right, so Chelsea win away at Arsenal, and more woe on Arsenal. Long mate, continue. Manchester City against Newcastle United. Again, that looks like a City win to me. R- routine City win. Yeah, Newcastle, uh, now fans are calling for Bruce's head again because they've had a couple of bad results. Poor old Sheffield United against Everton. Okay. 2-1 to Sheffield United. <laughs> Just watch that happen as well. Leeds United on Sunday, this is. Leeds United against Burnley. Again, with Leeds, like you say, anything could happen. Yeah, 2-0 I, I, mm, to Leeds, I think. All right, and then we've got quite an interesting one for you, especially West Ham against Brighton. I would say draw for that, but I think West Ham will edge Brighton. It, it, it shouts out 2-1 to West Ham to me, so I'll, I'll go with that. And then we've got Liverpool, how many West Brom nil? Yeah, I'm not sure it's going to be a how many, but I'll go for 2-0. You've got to feel for, for Allardyce, his second game. I mean, his first game in charge, you can't really count, not being in the job long. And his second job, his second game is away at Liverpool. Uh, on Sunday, the last game is Wolverhampton Wanderers, the other Wanderers, against Tottenham Hotspur. We need to win that. And Wolves are... Beatable. They're beatable, but um, <clears throat> they're also the sort of team Tottenham don't want to play. It's just like Leicester. They are a very, very well-drilled counter-attacking team, you know, joined up. So the transition from attack to defence is good, from defence to attack is good. Tottenham's only works one way. So I've got 2-1 to Wolves. And because I've said that, then you'll know that those won't happen because I've had too many two ones, and you don't get you don't get many of them nowadays. Well, those are the upcoming games in the next round of Premier League games. That's just about all we've got time for. Of course, we wish all our listeners a very happy holiday season. We still have Jeff's final trivia question of the year. Okay, when was the last time a Premier League team played with shirt numbers one to eleven, and who were they? The last example of a team in the Premier League doing so was Queens Park Rangers in early 1995-96. But the Dutch side Sparta Rotterdam, who are in the Dutch Eredivisie, their, their Premier League, are one of the very, very few holdouts against squad numbering. They still use one to eleven for every game even now and that's just one of the interesting things about Sparta Rotterdam their kit is red and white striped shirts and black shorts because because the people who started the Sparta Rotterdam club went over to Sunderland and watched Sunderland play and liked their kit so that's why they wear what they wear fantastic what a lovely story claim to fame for Sunderland (laughs) as well and the thing with Sparta Rotterdam and Sunderland there's a similar situation with Athletic Bilbao who wear or used to wear the same kit as as Southampton because they started off as an athletic club some English people came over and helped start the club and they were Southampton fans so that's why Athletic Bilbao wear red and white shirts like Southampton Atletico Madrid who are spell their name the Spanish way were also started by the same people and they wear red and white stripes for exactly the same reason but they decided to change their name to the Spanish version of it the story also goes with uh, Juventus, that great Italian club. Where did they get their kits from? Well, apparently it was the oldest club, one of the oldest clubs in the world, Notts County, who apparently lent them the kit because they hadn't got enough money to pay for their own all those years ago when they formed. A lot of exchange between British clubs and European clubs there. Brilliant. All right, that is all we've got time for. Once again, wish you a happy holiday festive season. We'll see you after the new year. I'm Chris Carl. And I'm Jeff Saunders. And that was Hitting the Bar, the football podcast.